This morning we are concluding our little mini-series as we close out the summer. We've been talking about uh, growing as disciples uh, by remaining committed to lives of worship and lives lived in community. Uh, and so this morning we will be talking about community. We spent the last two weeks talking about worship, the importance of personal worship uh, that seeks to have a deepened love, a growth and deepened, growing and deepened love for Jesus and then a commitment to corporate worship, uh, seeing the importance of being part of a worshiping family, a connected worshiping family. And then this week we will talk about living uh, as family, the family that God has made us. Uh, I'm going to read for us in just a few moments uh, an excerpt from the, the book of Acts that Luke wrote after he finished his gospel. Uh, but just to kind of get our, um, our minds oriented to this uh, this discussion in front of us, I want to share with you an, a quote from a Huffington Post blog. It was written by a, a single woman. She is single uh, in her late 20s, early 30s, living in New York City. At least she did uh, this is four years ago when she wrote this post. And her post is called The Importance of Community. And so what she had done is she had gotten a hand, like eight or nine women together from different kind of areas of her life. They didn't know each other, they just knew her, and she invited them all to this impromptu potluck where they all just brought their own food and shared it uh, and talked for a few hours around her table, and they all enjoyed it so much they started doing it on a monthly basis. And one of her friends who was a part of that potluck had this to say. She says, my friend Laura shared her thoughts on these impromptu potlucks. She said, connecting with the community of like-minded women has added a new dimension to my life. I've been feeling like my social life, my spiritual life, and my business life are three separate worlds, and suddenly I have a community where I can flow easily in and out of all three of those areas and feel understood. Our dinner conversations jump from floating a new business idea to how to kindly dump a guy that we are no longer interested in seeing. And no matter what we're talking about, the lack of judgment that is present is something that I've really never experienced before, even with some of my dearest friends. And so her, her friend Laura just gives voice to this sense, like this community that she's become a part of, these potlucks, is a place where she feels safe, she feels secure, she feels encouraged and welcomed. She, she feels what she had longed to feel, and what all of us long to feel is to have a place where we belong. And then the young woman who wrote this uh, blog post closed her post with these thoughts. She said, communities are helpful to join or create because they provide support to the individuals who are impacted by the daily stress, struggles, and chaos of modern life. And so here we have uh, a young woman, and she doesn't speak anything about uh, faith communities. I don't know if she's part of a faith community or not, uh, but she's just talking about in general, hey, community, being connected in community is of benefit to us. It's important for us so that we can thrive and flourish. And what we're going to see is the way that, in a sense, you see the, the New Testament church sort of take off and confirm that that is true, but also deepen uh, the, the strength of the call to be involved in community. All right, so looking here at Acts chapter uh, 2, I'm going to read for us verses 36 through 47. Uh, it's printed for you in your worship folder if you'd like to follow along. So here we have Peter concluding his sermon there in Jerusalem. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. 
Now when they, the crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for a chance to gather around it this morning. Spirit, we pray that you'll make us good students of this word and shape us so that we love Jesus and look more like him because of the time spent studying this inerrant word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what I want us to see this morning as we dive into this is if we're going to grow as disciples who are committed to him, but also to his family, there's, there, I'll call these like sort of two core commitments that we have to have that we see show up here in the early church. We have to be committed to the truth that we are family. We have to know that we are family. And then we have to live as family. Trying to live as family, if you don't know that your family, is actually kind of a fool's errand because you're going to get disgruntled and frustrated and abandon it. But if all you do is know your family but never actually take action on it, then you're not going to flourish as family either. We need to, have to embrace both of these, knowing that we're family and living as family. So let's talk first about knowing that we're family. Verses 36 through 41, where Peter sort of drives home this evangelistic sermon of his, and then the Spirit leads people to repentance what I want us to see here is there's an impact. As, as men and women were being saved, it not only united them to Jesus, it also united them to one another by virtue of their being saved. They were saved into a relationship with Jesus, and by virtue of being saved into a relationship with him, they were being saved into a relationship with one another. In verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is here Peter saying, what do you need to do? You need to personally repent and run to Jesus. This is personal salvation. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need to run to him individually. So this is individuals being saved. It's a call for them to be saved. And then in verse 41, we're told that those who received his word, and we're to assume they, were, they repented because they were then baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here's what I want you to see. What were they added to? They were added to the family. They were added to the church. They came into a relationship with Jesus, and they were added to his family. It was never just them and Jesus. It was always them meeting Jesus and him connecting them to the family. 3,000 souls added to the family. There is no such thing as being united to Jesus and not being a part of his family. You may not be living like his family, but it doesn't change the fact that you've been united 
to his family. And so I want us to see how our personal salvation, we're, we're among those, like in verse 39, where, when Peter says, hey, this is for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So everyone who experiences personal salvation ends up becoming a part of a new family, has a new corporate family identity. And it doesn't, it's not dependent on our, our desire to be connected to one another. It's dependent on Jesus connecting us to one another. So our, our feelings about how much we feel like family are really just indicators of the strength of that experience and indicators of maybe the health that we have as family. But they're not indicators of or the lack of relationship. We are family by virtue of what Jesus has done. And we see in verse 42 that these 3,000 souls, everything changed for them kind of in a moment. They devoted, they, they go from um, not knowing Jesus, not having a relationship with him, to repenting, being baptized, added to the church family, and then they begin devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And this makes sense sort of in, in an ancient Near Eastern context, and even in people groups outside of sort of our Western cultural mindset. Our Western cultural mindset doesn't see your religion as being anything more than an add-on to your identity. It's a portion of who you are, but it's not the framework for how you understand yourself. In an ancient context, religion was the framework by which you understood yourself. And so if you started following Jesus, it meant everything changed. We need to understand that that's because everything's supposed to change when you follow Jesus. But culturally, we kind of take Christianity and we put it in its own little category of social engagements or um, maybe even activities, you might say. But these new converts understood that this was more than just a social group they had added to their life. This was a, a life-altering, paradigm-shifting adoption into a new family. Uh, one of the ways that I, that I was thinking about it this week is the experience I had um, when Wyatt, our youngest child, we have three boys, he's the oldest, and so he was born back in 2010, January 2nd, 2010. And I remember um, he, was, he was born in the hospital, and the hospital environment, very chaotic. People do not let the, the dad sleep very much. They keep coming in and checking on the mom and a really terrible sleep situation for me. Uh, I'm okay, guys. I did all right. I pushed through. But what I remember most is when they sort of, they put Hillary, my wife, in the um, wheelchair, which they do for all these new moms, roll them to the door, and then they let us take this child and put him in our car and drive away with him. And I, was, I thought to myself, like, wait a second. Like, the last two days, we had this amazing support team to help us. And now I'm supposed to be responsible for him? And I realized in that moment, like, my life has actually completely changed. Like, completely changed. Like, I will never not be responsible on some level for this human being. And I've talked to enough of y'all who have adult children that you're not, you don't necessarily feel responsible, and that actually makes you more terrified, not less terrified, because of the connection that exists. Your life is forever changed. And in a way, I think these new converts understood that. They're like, whoa, I've just been brought into a new family. Everything has changed. Nothing will be the same ever again. And that's the proper paradigm shift to see that we have become part of a forever, all-in, all-time family. Now, this Huffington Post author, she, um, she talked about some of the communities that she's a part of. She's got her monthly potluck. She's part of a young, active New Yorkers meditation group. She's part of various private Facebook groups for vocational coaching and training. She's part of a support group for chronic illness and immune deficiency. Like, she has support groups. She has connection. And those are good. Like, having other subsets, other groups that you're a part of, other many communities, that can be a great encouragement for you. That's great, but that's not family. Family supersedes all of that. 
What we see as the new church gets launched is that everything has changed. It's not just one group that can help you. It's the group that you are now a part of, and it's part of your core identity. You're a part of the family of Jesus. And we have to embrace this truth because it's, it's absolutely crucial because otherwise when we start seeing, as we'll see in just a few moments, the call on us to live like family, if you don't actually believe that you're family, then the call to live like it's going to seem invasive, uncomfortable, and like a lot of overstepping. Like you can't ask me to do that. No one in many of my other affinity groups asked me to do that. And you're right. This is a, this is a call to be family. And we have to remember that. And before we talk about living as family, just a couple thoughts on what impedes us from, from um, you know, embracing this paradigm shift. We live in a culture of individualism, a culture that says, hey, you're going to be safest and you're going to thrive the most, the most you control how many people you let in and the type of people that you let in. And the thing about family is you don't choose family. You're just made a part of family. And so there is so much random risk involved in becoming family. There's such a lack of control that culturally we think it's too dangerous. It's going to be too, it's going to be too much. It's going to overwhelm me too much. It's going to inconvenience me too much. It's going to cost me too much. Or maybe you have what you know, I've talked with some of my friends about and had some friends who sort of brought this and have been really processing through this. Like, we have this nuclear family blinders right now where we, we've had like a couple generations where we had a lot of absentee fathers, a lot of absentee dads, and that's a problem. And it's not like it's gone right now, but we're seeing kind of like, not an overcorrection, because you can't really overcorrect on absentee dads, but we are seeing a correction where we have men who say, you know what, I'm going to be committed to my family, and in so doing, I'm actually going to say no to other healthy choices, because I'm afraid of being an absentee father. I'm afraid of being like my dad was. I'm afraid of the effect that it will have on my children. And I want you to know that Jesus never calls us to be part of his family at the expense of our nuclear family. But we are idolizing our nuclear family if we think that to protect them and care for them, it means we cannot be meaningfully connected to Jesus' family. And so we have, like, especially within the Christian community, we have dads who are making the wrong sacrifices for what seem like the right reasons. And we need to readdress that. For some of us, it may be that we have, uh, a, we have baggage because of churches that have hurt us. You're like, you, want, you say you're family, but I've been hurt before. Or maybe some of y'all have baggage. You're like, hey, you say we're family, but I come from such a dysfunctional family, I don't even know what it looks like to be a healthy family. I don't have meaningful relationships with my biological brothers and sisters. So how do you expect me to use that to leverage and build relationships here? There's brokenness that creates uh, impediments to you and I saying, yeah, I'm all in on being family. So we need to hear the call of Jesus here saying, hey, I've made you a family. Now let me call you into a healthy rhythm as a family, and it may be the first time you've ever experienced it, or maybe not, hopefully not. Now let's talk for the last handful of minutes that we have about living as family. Verses 42 through 47 just give us a snapshot into how this early church went from knowing they were family to living as family. And we, we have a, a perspective here that's helpful for us. Like, you can see they became, you become by virtue of your salvation, you become a part of the global church. You become a part of the invisible church across all generations. You are part of the church by virtue of being connected to Jesus. But then you're called to faithfully join with a local church, to take the step to actively live in the smaller context of a local church. And we see this happening here in Acts chapter 2. 
these new believers saw themselves as part of the large, growing family of the church. You look in the New Testament, you hear about churches in different parts of um, the, the Middle East that were actually sending sums of money to the church in Jerusalem to people they didn't know, but they felt connected to because they knew they were family. But the actual life rhythms of these people was much more local. Uh, it was them being connected to one another in, in smaller gatherings. We, we have, as I said, three boys, and we've watched all three boys try to figure out how to understand what it means to live in Auburn, Opelika, but also live in Alabama, but also live in the United States of America. Like, my six-year-old is just beginning to get it. Like, we'll be driving into Birmingham. He's like, is Birmingham in, in the United States? Like, yes, it is. He's like, well, I thought Birmingham was in Alabama. Yes, it is. Like, and so we help them understand, like, yeah, we're citizens of the U.S., and we're a part of the community of Alabama, but we live our lives here in this county. This is where we've put down our roots. And I want us to see that the church is supposed to have kind of a similar understanding, like, hey, we care so much about what's happening globally for the church, but our life rhythms are connected to this church, to this community, to this family. So we care about the whole church, we support the whole church, but we're committed in the most meaningful ways to one local church. And if we dive into the rhythms of this fledgling church family, we can see, like Luke says, hey, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then he kind of helps us understand what that looks like. Because if you're going to live as family, you have to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, which we've talked about in worship, but you have to be devoted to the fellowship. You have to be devoted to the family as well. In verse 42, devoted to the apostles' teaching us of being devoted to worship, corporate worship, personal worship. We talked a lot about that the last two weeks, so I'm, I'm not going to focus in on that too much. But we do see that you know, this idea of the apostles' teaching and the prayers, that's both a corporate and a personal thing. Like You can study and reflect and meditate on the apostles' teaching, whether you're with a group or by yourself. You can engage in a group with prayers or by yourself. There's a corporate and a personal component. But then there's also the sacraments, like the breaking of bread together, that uh, sort of the love feast sacrament of the Lord's Supper that's observed together, and having the apostles themselves unpack to preach. And so there's a preaching, teaching component of corporate worship. Those need to be rhythms that we have together as a family. Those are things we're involved in personally, but also together as a family. That's what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. But I want us to focus in on being devoted to the fellowship. We're a worshiping family, but we're not just a group of people who worship and call each other family. We're a family that gathers weekly for worship. By worshiping together, we're acknowledging that we are family that worships together, but family goes beyond uh, right now 45 minutes on Sunday morning and when COVID is over an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. It's beyond that. And so we see this devotion to one another. And I want to just walk through verses 42 through 47. In verse 44, we see this. Uh, we're told that they all who believed were together and had all things in common. It's like this simple yet necessary reality. Like you have to be together because shared relational experience is necessary for you to actually feel like family and for you to grow like family. It's not enough for you to be on the role of something. Shared experience. Uh, Auburn University has, was it 30,000 students now or something like that? They're all students together. Some of y'all are those students. No way you know 30,000 people. You're not family by virtue of all being enrolled at the same time. You're family by virtue of uh, a commitment to that shared relational experience. And I know during COVID, that's challenging. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But we can't neglect being together. Because being together is how we build that deep relationship. 
In verse 45, we're told that as those who are devoted to the family, devoted to the fellowship, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We have them sharing their resources, sacrificing for one another, wanting others to flourish, wanting to leverage who you are and what you have so that the members of your family can be strengthened. There's a self-sacrifice that's necessary to being a healthy family. But also in verse 45, they, they know each other well enough to know their needs. And there are, some, there are some contexts in which people tell their needs, but nobody wants to meet their needs. We actually live in a context as primarily white middle-class Americans. We don't want anyone to believe that we have needs. So we're unwilling to be vulnerable about our needs. Family is vulnerable with one another. Family is honest with one another. Family is transparent with one another. Family risks being truly known by other people. Being family is a risky prospect. And then we see in verse 46 that this young fledgling, fledgling church, that day by day they're attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And what we see there is they were open and they were generous with their time and with their homes because your schedule actually shows what matters to you. How you fill your time shows what matters to you. And so they filled their schedule with each other and God used it to advance his kingdom. And now again, we're gonna talk about some of the nuances of having to deepen our relationships as family when we can't even sit on the same row with each other, much less other things. We'll talk about that. We see in verse 46 that they eat together. Shared meals were a sign, you've probably heard this before, but it was a sign of true welcome, of true friendship. It meant you belong with me. This is a place for you. Now, meals don't always have the same connotation in every single cultural context, but the impulse of that to do whatever it is that's culturally sensitive and it communicates, you belong with me. This is your place. I remember reading a book and, then, and it talked about how the, the way that this one individual, he and his wife understood a, a meaningful relationship was if, or, if you do or do not have refrigerator rights at someone's house. Can you just go into the refrigerator without asking? If so, you're family. If not, then you're not. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how y'all feel about refrigerator rights. I'm not saying that that has to be your litmus test, but it was helpful. I was like, oh, yeah, we should probably figure out on some level. So Hillary and I decided, like, for our community groups, like, we try to nudge people to, to serve themselves just so that we can feel good about our refrigerator door being opened by other human beings. So that was probably, that's not exactly what we're, what we're aiming for, but it's a step in that direction to say, hey, you belong here. This is a space where you belong. And we see them worshiping together, and we've talked about that, this commitment to worship with the people that you fellowship with. This is why if you're connected to a church family, your rhythms should be that the people that you're connecting with as family are the same people that you worship with, because we are a family that worships together. It's one of the damaging things about church hopping is it actually takes the worshiping family experience away from the regular rhythms of family experience, and you feel like you're being stretched in more directions than you can really connect. You dive in with one, and you stay. Now, I want to run through just a couple quick application thoughts here. As I said before, like if you and I, if we don't understand that we're family, if we don't realize that by virtue of being saved, we've already been paid, made a part of the family, we got to start there. Because if someone tells you to do all the rest of Acts 2, 42 through 47, and you don't think you're family with people, then it's not going to work. You're not going to see it as a beautiful invitation. You're going to see it as a list of requirements that are burdensome, and you're not going to want it. But when you see that you're family, 
that you're gonna see that this is the valuable currency of building relationship with these people. And I want that. And then as we think about this, living as family in this season, you know, I was, I don't know if you drove down Opelika Road over here, but there's a sister church up the road and their marquee right now, or it did on Thursday, it said, um, the more you miss church, the more you won't miss church. Meaning the more you're not connected to the church family, the less you're going to miss the connection. Like you and I have to stay committed to one another, even during this season. We have to grow as a family, even during this season. And I want us to understand, like, this season's challenging, but there, is nev- there has never been a season when the people of God could not flourish and grow and deepen their relationships. The context changes, but we don't grow by virtue of us being awesome at it. We grow by virtue of the, of the Spirit using our opportunities to deepen relationships. So when we use the opportunities that actually exist, the Spirit will deepen those relationships. This is an awkward context, but it's not an insurmountable one. So whether it's in person or phone or virtual, you and I have to find regular connections. We need to see people and be known by people and find ways to make those rhythms a part of our actual life. We need to sacrifice and be willing to take appropriate levels of risk. I'm not calling anyone who's at risk to take off your mask and go hug somebody. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to take appropriate levels of risk to say, yeah, the world is not 100% safe. But I'm not safe if I divorce myself from the relationships that will cause me to flourish. I need those connections. So I need to pursue them, whether that's a phone call, whether that's a Zoom or FaceTime, whether that's a front yard double date, whether that's you both get in your cars and you call each other on the phone while you stare at each other through, through glass. You do what you have to do so that you can stay connected to the family that Jesus has made you a part of. I don't want you and me to look back and realize that during a pandemic, we let other relationships take priority over our church family. I would encourage you, look at the, willing, the risk that you're willing to take in all the other avenues of your life, and don't let your church family bring up the rear. If we're willing to risk for other things, we need to be willing to risk for one another. Again, I want you to do that in a healthy and responsible way, but we're being called to maintain and deepen connection in this season. <laughs>